Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're not in our Genesis series, um, but I, I will be preaching out of Genesis. We finished our Genesis series um, a few weeks ago, but um, there was a, a thought from this verse, or from this text, that I've actually gone through before, but it's been a few years, and, and I wanted to, to bring this up this morning. I'm thankful for dads, thankful for fathers, I'm thankful for my father, um, and uh, I, there was just a way that I thought we could be reminded of the right way to view uh, fatherhood, the right way to view being the right kind of dad, and I'd like to look at the very first father and learn a few lessons from him. Genesis chapter 2, and let's stand as we read this, verse 15 is where we will be, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And um, to dress means to labor, to keep means to protect. And uh, his responsibility was to labor and work the garden, but also to protect it, to guard it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make, an, make him an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. The implication there is that as Adam saw uh, these animals come in pairs and he's naming them, he's thinking, well, the giraffe has a companion, where's mine? And the lion has a companion, where's mine? And, you know, if, if God's plan to uh, reproduce and replenish and fill the earth was going to happen, Adam was starting to figure this out. You know, that I need a, a partner, I need and help meet uh, as well. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he um, a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This morning, you know, I thought, well, there are times where you have a holiday and you don't preach on this subject. Um, but the subject of fatherhood is so important. I mean, you look about where we are in our country. And you think, and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but where are the dads? Where are the dads making a difference, not just at work, not just in their career, not just on the stock market, not just on ball fields and NBA courts, where are the dads making a difference in the lives of their children? How a dad makes a difference, that's the idea today. And I want it to be very practical. It won't be maybe a normal style of preaching for me, but it is out of the text. And I think there's some good things that we can learn from this very first father. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Lord, we love you and we need you. I need you desperately today. And uh, I want to be a dad that makes a difference. I don't want to just exist. I don't want to simply maintain. I want to make a difference and know that I've left a mark. 
and that those that come behind me have found me faithful, Lord. So I pray that you'd help uh, the footprints that I leave lead my children to the Heavenly Father, God. And so we ask for your help. Bless the reading of your word. Bless our time together. Let your spirit move and have your will and way in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Uh, I really enjoyed the video, the you know, things fathers say. And uh, if you've been a dad for any length of time, then you know that there are things that you say as a dad now that remind you um, that you are officially your father. Uh, I, I remember a few years back, and I, I've used this before, I was watching a video with my kids, a fail video. And if you know, just so that you catch, on, uh, catch up on modern YouTube culture and vernacular, a fail video is, is a recording, a heartless recording of, of someone that did something they were trying to do with le- less than grace. I mean, they did it and failed at it. Like somebody that's tripping or falling or dropping something. And the older I get, the more I'm like, ow, that would have hurt. Because I'm imagining that happening to me. In the videos, the young people just bounce up like they're Gumby and uh, have no bones to break. But most of us would say that hurts. We watch this video and this person either fell off a scooter or tripped over their dog or something. And everybody in the house uh, said, ooh, that hurts. Um, except me. Um, as we watched the video, I said, ooh, they have a nice lawn. <laughs> it was, I, I didn't even mean to say it. I, you know, the, the point of the video was to laugh at someone's calamity. Um, but I was like, did you see how green their grass was? I think I might have paused it and gone back and watched it, actually. That was one of those moments in my adult life that it became very obvious to me that I have become my father. And uh, that's okay, I'm thankful for my dad and I'm thankful that he didn't just teach me about the value of green grass, he taught me spiritual lessons. I have a godly dad who loves the Lord and and taught me how to walk with God and taught me how to serve God and and I've watched him, I've seen Jesus lived out in my dad's life, my whole life. And I know that not many people can say that, and that's a rarity, Um, even in our culture, it's becoming more and more rare. But I'm telling you this, it's it's not impossible for you. Dads, it is not impossible for you to reflect a picture of your Heavenly Father to your children. Now, am I saying it's easy? No. Am I saying it's natural? No. It requires the, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God sanctifying us and helping us, but we can paint pictures of God that our children can see and follow. And when I read about the news, about what's going on in our world and how young people are acting, and I don't know if you follow it at all, but it just seems like um, there it just gets worse and worse in terms of the boldness and and walking into stores as a group and just taking whatever they want, walking out and, and just the lack of respect and just all of these things happening these days. And, and I think all the time, where is their dad? You know, I have to believe if more dads, I don't have to believe this, I believe it and it's true. If more dads were raising their children according to God's word, we wouldn't be as, in as big of a mess. And I think we need a a, a refocus on a a dad paradigm. And a paradigm is is a perspective or a way of looking at things. And how you were raised, I mean, one thing can happen, one situation can happen, 
and I'll see it one way because I was raised one way. Um, you might see it a different way because we're looking at the same thing, but you were raised a different way. You have a different lens. I mean, my background is different than Brother Gabe Adams and Brother Juan Vargas's and Brother Rogers. I mean, every one of us have a tweak that we were raised differently. And, and when we look at how a dad ought to be, our paradigm should not be, uh, should not be established based on how we were raised. And I know there, there are plenty of people with good dads that raised them the right way. But even that's not good enough to say that's how a dad ought to be. Uh, I, I know I mean, just because your dad did it doesn't mean it's the only and right way. I'm not saying it's all bad, but that's the wrong way to come up with a paradigm. Uh, the media these days says dads are dumb. That's their paradigm. Uh, the feminist movement says dads are unnecessary. That's their paradigm. And the, the young generation might at times say, well, dad's just out of touch. That's their paradigm. And in too, many, in too many homes, their paradigm is this. Dad is disinterested or dad is not present. And our culture's paradigm or their idea of the typical father is off. And, and even how you were raised, be sure that you don't think, well, this is how my dad did it, so this is the way it must be done. No, our paradigm of fatherhood is not about culture and it's not about experience. Our paradigm of fatherhood should come from God's word. This is the only sure way to understand uh, what a dad looks like. This is the only sure way to shape our thinking. And as I thought about, well, how do I present that um, today, on, a, on Father's Day, we could go to Deuteronomy 6 and, and find out that it is the father's responsibility. Here's the paradigm. Um, the, the paradigm today is I'm going to send my kids to church or send my kids to Bible school or send my kids to Christian school and let someone teach them the Bible. And that's not a bad thing, um, but, but a school's not responsible to teach your children the Bible. Deuteronomy 6 says it is a father's responsibility for his, the moral education of his child. Uh, we could go to the book of Proverbs and pick any verse out of the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs is a father's letter to his son. That could help us with our paradigm. Ephesians chapter 6 is Paul's letter telling uh, fathers how to raise their children and provoke not your children to wrath, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There are a lot of places we could look to find out and shape our paradigm, but I'd like to start in the book of Genesis because this is the first father. Look at Genesis chapter 5. Um, we'll come back to Genesis 2, but I just want to read you a few verses here. Genesis chapter 5, it says this, this is the book... ...of the generations of Adam... ...and we, we talked about that in our, in our Genesis series... ...the generation, this is what became of... ...the toll dot, it's kind of like... ...this is what happened to Adam... ...and then there are chapters that talk about... ...what happened to Adam's descendants... ...this is what happened to Noah... ...and what came after his descendants... ...this is what happened to Adam... ...the book of generations of Adam it says... ...in the day that God created man... ...in the likeness of God made he him... Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So it gives us this, the, the context is that it all started when God created Adam. And then if you look at verse 3, it says that Adam then produced Seth. And it, and it goes on and on. Um, and so what the idea is that God was the first father and his son was Adam. Adam was the second father and his son was Seth. 
Seth was the third father, and it's so on and so on. The, 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 uh, the pattern starts in verse 1, and the implication is that God was the first father. Luke chapter 3, in the ge genealogies of Luke 3, says Adam, which was the son of God. And so uh, the first father today is not Adam. The first father that we need to look at and to develop a paradigm from is God the father. And from his dealings with Adam and Eve, I'd like to then look at if he's the first father, then clearly he's the best father. He's the perfect father. He's the holy father. So let's then look at the kind of things that the perfect first father did for his first son and say, okay, as dads, we ought to be more like the first father. And, and not only that, uh, you say, well, I'm not a father. I'm not sure how this applies to me. Well, you have a father. This could help you be thankful for the father that you've had. Not only that, you're, you're a mom maybe or you're a wife. You could say, okay, this is how the first father paradigm ought to be. I'd love to help my, my husband be the kind of father he needs to be and help him in this journey, help him in this endeavor. And you say, well, I'm not married. My father's gone. Well, you never know. Someday you could be a father. But not only that, we're in a local church and you know fathers. And this could help you know how to pray for the, for the fathers of our church. So really, this has application broadly. And it also helps us to know, here's how God, our heavenly father, deals with us. So how, how a dad makes a difference from the first father and his example. Number one, a dad that makes a difference is soul conscious. A dad that makes a difference, and I don't typically preach in just such a clearly laid out outline, but I'm going to give you five ways that a dad can make a difference. And I think it'd be good for dads if you think, well, I'd like to write these down, at least commit these to some kind of memory. A dad that makes a difference is soul conscious. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now we know that God formed Adam's body out of the dust of the ground. He used dirt uh, to make Adam. And so if, that, if you ever feel like you're, you know, you're kind of feeling really important, just remember what God made us out of. We're dust. He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And now Adam had to have a body in order to accomplish the purposes that God had for him. He had to have a vessel through which to function. But God didn't stop at a body. God didn't say, I'm going to make you a body. That's good enough. You're just material. Now, listen, there's a lot of, of humanism and secularism out there today. And even certain religions that will tell you that you're just a body. And when you die, that's it. By the way, and there are some that we might call mainstream um, religions and, or denominations. Look into what they say happens to a person after they die. And if they teach you this, if they teach you that after you die, there's nothing, then they don't teach the Bible. You are more than a body. God formed you out of dust and made your body, made a physical body for us that we've inherited from our parents. But then he took the time to breathe into Adam the breath of life so that Adam became a living soul. See, for God, it wasn't enough to just make Adam a body. He wanted a part, he wanted Adam to have 
um, uh, personality. He wanted Adam to have a piece of him that would allow him to relate to God. Because God is not just the body. As a matter of fact, um, the Bible teaches that God doesn't have a body. That Jesus is the manifestation of God in a body. And so there needed to be a way for man to relate to God. And so God took the time to breathe life into Adam and animate that body with something more meaningful than just a physical body. Adam could relate and reflect God more than just physically. And so the truth is, and here's the point, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly today. We need dads that are more interested in who their kids are spiritually than they are, than what they can do physically. I mean, I like sports. I mean, we, we like to play sports, we like to shoot baskets, and we like to, my son and I, he loves to throw a football, we, we like to be outside, he likes to ride bikes, those kinds of things. But far too many homes are so hyper-focused on developing the body that there's a generation of young people who give very little attention to reflecting God in their spirit. And, and if you don't believe that, go count the number of cars parked at Harmadon Park over here on a typical Sunday compared to the number of cars parked in churches in the area. It's a lot of time and investment and money in playing summer ball and a lot less invested in the spiritual well-being of a child. And the best dads, if you want to be a dad that makes a difference, recognize that your children are more than a body. They have a soul and they have a spirit and compare the time and investment that we make into their spiritual lives with the time that we spend developing their physical lives, their bodies, or even their minds in school or their music. And, and I know you can use those things for the Lord, um, but we must not at, to the expense or at the risk of, of selling their spiritual lives short, invest everything that we have into who they are physically. We must take the time to invest in them spiritually. And you say, well, I think I'm doing pretty good at this. Um, but are you really soul conscious? Uh, dads, make sure that you send a clear message to your children that spiritual things come first. Church before baseball. Church before volleyball. Church before football. And you say, well, you know, I don't know. Sometimes you just don't get much out of church. And, and I'm not saying, again, I, the message that this pastor preaches, sometimes it doesn't go over very well. But the, the truth is that when we open God's word, there's something to learn every time. But second, here's the truth. By you saying, no, we're stopping what we're doing right now so that we can be in church on a Wednesday night, is sending a very clear message to your children that their spiritual life matters more than their physical life. I'm not saying that we're going to put them at risk physically. And I hope you understand, I'm not saying that we're going to be imbalanced and never pay attention. They ought to be, uh, you know, they ought to be healthy. We ought to do things like that with them. But, but never should we send the message that your body matters more than your spirit. There's a balance here. Our children are more than bodies. They're more than intellect. They're more than talent. They're more than a career they are spiritual beings, and that part must be developed. If you want to be a dad that makes a difference, then you need to prioritize their spiritual lives. A dad that, is, that makes a difference is, number two, responsibility-oriented. Response, so soul-conscious, number one, responsibility-oriented, number two. Look at Adam's responsibilities in the garden, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. 
And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Look down at verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Look down at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Adam had defined responsibilities in the garden. He was... Uh, he had a green thumb. His job was to protect and dress and keep the garden to make sure that it grew, to take care of things. Not only that, look down at verse 19. Here's another task. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. So his job was to dress and keep the garden. We know from chapter 1 his job was also to uh, replenish the earth, to, to repopulate the earth and with children that bear the image of God. And we see here again in chapter 2 he had another responsibility to name the animals. That would have been hard. I mean, where did he come up with aardvark? I don't know. You know, you, don't, you haven't seen all the animals maybe. And you're like, okay, um, a horse. I mean, okay, I see that. Here comes a porcupine. Like, what do you call that? Here comes a platypus. It's like, well, I already called a, one a duck. So this is a duck with fur? Like, Lord, what, what's going on here, you know? I mean, there's all kinds of strange animals. And, and, but it was Adam's job to name them. And, and uh, that's a big responsibility. I can't imagine... How long it would have took it would have taken him. I, I, I don't know what that would have been like, but the point that I want to give you is that Adam gave or God gave Adam responsibility. He gave him expectations. And I think we rob our children of, of responsibility by letting them spend so much time only doing the things they like or only doing the things they're good at. Our, our children don't have to be trained to sleep in. They just do it. And, and so I'm not saying that you never get an opportunity to sleep in, but they're good at sleeping in. Therefore, as a mom or dad, we ought to be thinking, okay, that's what they naturally do. And, I, and, and we ought to, from Scripture, know that what comes naturally is not always what's best for us. So I'm going to give them responsibilities that will help them overcome just the things that they're like, they like or are good at or are comfortable with. Help them step outside their comfort zone and give them responsibilities that compete with the things that they're good at. They're good at sleeping in. They're good at video games. So their day ought not just be spent on video games. Instead of making it, yeah, we got dad saying, yes, preach it. Well, no, it's, instead of letting that be the expectation, let that be the reward after they've completed responsibilities. Responsibilities come first. And see, what happens if, is if we only allow our children to spend their days doing the things that they prefer, then that becomes an expectation. And that's a good way to create entitled children. Where they have to do nothing to earn the things that they really like to do. No, start with responsibility. That's what God did with Adam. 
And he said, well, Adam didn't have an Xbox to compete with. Oh, well, maybe, but, but he had plenty of things to do. I, I imagine Adam probably enjoyed to just rest in the garden. I mean, resting is, is uh, an, in the image of God. God rested. But he rested after responsibility. So be mindful. Don't always just promote and encourage the things they're good at. If they naturally enjoy or are naturally good at something, make sure that we don't just always push that on them. A teenager, honestly, listen, a teenager doesn't just have to exist. A teenager can contribute. They can contribute well. The first father expected it, then why don't we? Don't, don't let them settle for cultural expectations. Give them responsibilities, lay out expectations, and then follow up to make sure that they've done what they're supposed to. And then allow their performance in the areas of those responsibility to determine um, the rewards or the consequences. There, there should be structure in the way that we deal with our children. Dads, listen, dads that make a difference are soul conscious. Dads that make a difference are responsibility oriented. Number three, dads that make a difference are boundary-minded. Boundary-minded. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, if you read this, then you know God gave Adam very clear boundaries from the, from the, from the get-go. And our culture right now, our culture says boundaries hurt our children. Don't give them any rules. Let them decide for themselves. Let this four-year-old decide to have life-altering surgery or treatment... Because he's four and he's old enough to make those decisions for himself. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable what's happening. No, uh, it's okay to give your children boundaries. Uh, it's okay. I mean, uh, we just yesterday, we were flying on a plane. And, and every time I fly, I, I think, uh, don't ever fly with me. Because everything just seems to happen. And just behind my wife was a family with children... And I understand crying on an airplane. I cried the whole trip myself, I think. This little baby, not really even just a small baby. I mean, old enough to be told no. Cried for two hours. The, the toddler, four or five, definitely old enough to be told no, kicked and pulled on my wife's seat the whole time. Not once that whole trip did we hear the word no. And I'm not saying that kids won't be kids sometimes, but we sell them short if we think they're too young to be told no. I mean, we were telling our children no when they were six months old. And they may have not fully understood what we were explaining to them, but I can tell you a small consequence and the word no starts to train them that when they hear the word no, it's not a positive outcome. We don't, and I'm not saying abuse. I'm not saying be unreasonable. But listen, your children need to hear the word no. And, and we live in this culture that says, oh, don't tell them no. It'll stunt their, spirit, their growth. They'll, they'll be less of a person when they grow up. You'll have ego problems and self-esteem problems and, and all of these things. No, no. What, we, what they don't understand is they're so focused on the no, they don't recognize that no opens the door for many yeses. So when God, I mean, think about it. God was a bound, gave, gave Adam and Eve boundaries, but his boundary was one tree. The rest of the garden, he said, are yeses. Everything else in the garden, you can say yes to. This one tree, that's it. So don't let culture tell you or, or, or somebody come along and say, well, God's just a no person. No, God said no to one tree. He said yes to everything else. And that boundary that he put around that tree was to protect Adam and Eve from destruction. 
Boundaries are not there to make us miserable. Boundaries are there to protect us. And dads, you are not a bad dad if you tell your child no and don't let them get what they want. You are not a bad dad if you say no to disobedience. You're, you're not a bad dad if you teach biblical morals to your children that they don't get to decide. And you're not a bad dad if when your children break the rules, you practice reasonable, godly, controlled biblical consequences. You're not a bad dad if you train your children to obey you from an early age. And, and you're not a bad dad if you refuse to let your children do whatever they want, whenever they want. You are not a bad dad if you don't let your children watch certain things. You're not a bad dad if you teach your children to dress a certain way to highlight who they are in Christ instead of highlight their body so the world can see it. You're not a bad dad when you say no. Boundaries are, are a mark of the very best first father. Boundaries are not bad. Give them godly boundaries. It's okay. Expect them to follow them. It's okay. And, and maybe there's a way to do it in such a way that it harms our children if we don't do it with a balance of love, which we always ought to do. But I think our, our problem is not we don't have enough, or is not that we have too many boundaries these days. Our problem is we don't have enough boundaries. Amen. And these kids that grow up and loot stores and burn down buildings are the same ones 15 years ago that were allowed to throw fits in the floor of Walmart and nobody ever told them to stop. Amen. And so it's time when they're young, listen, this is when the time comes to train them to embrace boundaries because boundaries are for protection. And there are a lot of yeses that come from those few no's. So a dad that makes a difference is soul conscious. Dad that makes a difference is responsibility oriented. A dad that makes a difference is boundary minded. A dad that makes a difference is marriage focused. He's marriage focused. I mean, God spent a lot of time explaining to Adam his help meet and, and why he was going to bring um, Eve along. And, or at least a lot of time observing. And he must have done a lot of teaching based on what Adam talks about when he talks about marriage. Look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, that the man should be alone. I will make him help meet for him. Verse 20, God gave, Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, uh, it's Father's Day, so I had to preach on ribs today. Um, which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You cannot read this chapter the, both in what God says about Adam needing and help meet and how Adam explains the importance of his help meet. You cannot read this and think marriage wasn't a big deal to God. God, uh, there are a couple of good applications. God prepared his son Adam to be married. He, he talked about the importance of, the, of Adam needing the relationship. He wanted a certain kind of wife for Adam. He obviously explained how the marriage relationship with work would work because it was Adam that said in verse 24, Therefore for shall a man leave his father, father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Um, that, that's not just Adam's insight. That's God giving insight to Adam about the importance of the marriage relationship. Uh, raise your children in such a way that you have a certain spouse in mind for them. 
that you raise them in a certain way that you're teaching them to be a certain kind of spouse. And, and raise your children that they're prepared for marriage. Uh, too many uh, homes just raise children and then when it's time and they find somebody, they say, well, we're not really ready for this, but, you know, there's not much we can do. No, raise them in such a way to teach them what a good marriage is like and what it looks like and how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife. If we just let it go by default, they will attract somebody that isn't necessarily what we were expecting. Teach them to value marriage. Marriage is an extremely important decision. Who they marry is the biggest decision that you make outside of your salvation. I really believe that. Too many parents view it as something that just happens. But, but value it and show them that, they, that you value it. Because if they don't val marry somebody that values the Lord or somebody that values marriage, it's a recipe for disaster. Help them understand it's a lifelong decision. It's not a contract that you can break if you don't like it in six months. No, this is a lifelong contract. And in our culture, we need to be teaching that. It's a mindset. Uh, in order to teach them about marriage, the most important thing you can do, parents, is model to them the kind of marriage that, that says our marriage is first. Our relationship is the most important besides God. Adam said a man would leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and those two become one. You know what he was saying is that this marriage relationship is the priority over other family relationships. Dads, your best asset in raising your children for the Lord is for your strongest relationship to be with your wife. They need to see that. Uh, somebody said, after God, love her most. Put her first. Too many homes are child-centric and therefore imbalanced. It's about the children. And once those children leave the home, too many marriages fall apart because they have nothing left. A great dad is marriage-focused. The most important thing that you can do for your children is love your wife. And if you love and honor and lift up some, her, uh, anybody above the rest, it ought to be your wife, your sons are going to see that and follow and they're going to say, I want to be that kind of a husband. And your daughters will see that and say, I want to marry that kind of a husband. You cannot lose dads if you say, I want my life, uh, my children to see that my life besides God after my relationship with him, that it is about my marriage and that is the most important relationship and I want them to get that so they value marriage. Dads that make a difference are so conscious, responsibility-oriented, boundary-minded, marriage-focused. And number five, dads that make a difference are relationship-driven. God created mankind so he could have a relationship. I mean, think about it. Why else would he create a man and a woman? I mean, he, he didn't just make them so he had something to do. No, what does God have to gain except that he enjoys fellowship? I mean, he just, he loves Fellowship, it's part of his nature. Genesis 3.8 says that he came walking in the garden in the cool of the day as if there was an expectation. Adam and Eve were expecting him to come. Why? How do we know that? Well, because they hid themselves. They knew he was coming. So it was obviously there was a relationship of fellowship. And God created us. He created mankind for a relationship of fellowship. God wants to fellowship with mankind. 
He wants a relationship with you. And by the way, and I have to say this, uh, for the dads in here who may not know about your salvation condition, if you don't ever admit that you're a sinner, according to Romans 3, and know that there's a consequence for your sin, according to Romans 6, 23, it's, it's death in hell, uh, separated from God forever. If you never come to the terms of admitting your sin, acknowledging the consequence, and placing your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, you will never have fellowship with God the Father. It is impossible for you to know him in a relationship of meaningful value and worth if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, a dad that really wants to make a difference, the most important decision you can make, and you can make it today, is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Be saved and and say, I'm tired of trying to make a difference in my own strength, in my own flesh, because I'm not making a dent. But when you have Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit on your side, you find out he empowers you to do things that you couldn't do before. I'm not saying it's easy, but now it's possible. If you want to make a difference, you must fellowship with God the Father yourself first. But here's the other part of this. If the first father said, I value fellowship... That means that we as fathers must say we value fellowship. Listen, I know you've got, uh, you, you're, you've got responsibilities. I know as a dad that you're, you're kind of the head of the home. You've got to come up with rules and you've got to keep things in line and all of these things. But understand this. If our children only ever get from us rules and they never get from us love, then we, we are teaching them that life is not about fellowship it's about following rules. And when that happens, we are creating Pharisees in our homes. And not only that, when they get old enough, if they decide to follow in our footsteps, we will be perpetuating outward performance-based religion instead of a, a relationship that begins in the heart. Our children must understand that we love them. All of these things that we do for them uh, to be boundary-driven and and to be um, uh, uh, responsibility-oriented and, and all of these things, they won't do anything if our hearts are not connected with our children on some level. You're the authority, but your children need to see love. Boundaries are important, but you're more than a taskmaster. Uh, rules are helpful, but fellowship, it, it can't be neglected. God removed Adam and Eve from the garden because of their sin, but he did so with the promise of restoration because he wants a relationship. He sent his own son Jesus to die on a cross for their sins and our sins because he wants a relationship. And we need dads to be focused not on just raising children not to embarrass me in public, but raise children that I have a relationship with. Dads, you're a breadwinner. You bring home money, you support your family, and, but we need some fathers who will set aside opportunities to make more money so that they can spend time during the week being present in their children's lives. Dads, don't come home and just plop down on the couch and ignore your family. I know you're tired, but your children need to know that you value them and want a relationship with them. Uh, be home for supper when you can. When you sit down, turn that phone off or leave it in a different room so that your children know that you value a relationship. Listen to what they're saying. Ask questions. Spend quantity time. Spend quality time. It all matters. They need to see that we value them. 
that we love them and that we want a relationship with them. And if we want to make a difference in our homes and raise our children to seek the Lord in righteousness, we need dads who are about relationships. Here's why. Because how they see us as their father who values relationship will be how they see God when they grow up. And, and, and they wonder what kind of God he is. Well, they think, well, my dad valued a relationship, so obviously God the Father does too. It will train them without telling them to grow up and seek a relationship with their heavenly father. Take our cues from the first father. Maybe your dad paradigm has been molded by your experiences. It's been affected by your preferences or it's been established by culture. Anything that can't be traced to a biblical worldview will lead to a faulty dad paradigm. Which will likely not produce godly offspring. What happens then when we follow our paradigm? Well, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There are too many dads out there trying to figure things out without the help of God. Dad, listen, do you want to make a difference? You want to leave a mark? You want to leave footprints in your children's life that lead them to their heavenly father? Well, if you try without God's help, you'll just exist. But if you'll try to shape your paradigm after the traits of that first perfect father, you can make a lasting difference. In what areas, as a father, do you need improvement? Do you desire to make a difference or do you simply just want to exist? Do you need to shift your paradigm about being an effective dad? Maybe, maybe you say, well, I'm not a dad. Well, did you have a dad that showed you the right kind of paradigm as you were growing up? Maybe today's a day to be thankful for that. Wives, do you have a husband that's trying to exhibit the right kind of dad paradigm for your children? Be thankful for that. It doesn't happen in every home. Maybe you're young and you don't have children yet and say, this is the kind of dad I want to be. What I'm saying is it's not just the dads in the middle of it today that have a decision to make. We all can be thankful. We all can strive to be better. And we can all strive to pray for and support those who are in the middle of it trying to do the right things. Maybe our dad paradigm needs to shift. And the best picture we've ever had of the right kind of father comes from our heavenly father who is perfect, He's does, he does all things well. And maybe rather than just living, just doing it like we know we think we're supposed to do it, how we were raised, let's get back to these trademarks of the right kind of father, the perfect father, a dad who truly made a difference. And, and we can make a difference. We don't have to just exist. Will you today determine, dads, I'm going to do some things better because of the example I have from my heavenly father. Let's stand together. Every head bowed. We're going to have a moment of invitation. I had to come to terms with some of these myself in preparation here. Because it's easy just to live by default. And yet we have a paradigm that very clearly lays some good things out for us. Dads, let's, let's, dads future dads, those with dads, those who know dads. Today, let's, let's just seek the Lord and ask, not just for ourselves, but for the people we love. Let's, let, God, help, the, help us, help them to be a dad that follows these thoughts, that follows these trademarks, that follows these characteristics, because we want dads to make a difference. Father, thank you for your truth. I pray that you'd help us today just to shift our thinking some. And, 
and do things the way the first perfect father did, God. We love you and we pray that you'd have your will and way. Help us to make choices, decisions today that please you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.